0: Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork, and today we're going to be talking about ancient wisdom for modern flourishing. I'm delighted to welcome special guest Simon Drew. Simon is an Australian poet, author, musician, photographer, philosophical mentor, and the host of the Practical Stoic podcast. You can reach Simon and learn about his book, The Poet and the Sage, at his website, thewalledgarden.store, and I'll include a link in the description. Welcome, Simon. I'm so glad that you could join with me today.
1: Linda, it's great to be here. Thank you very much. And I, I appreciate the very kind uh, introduction. I will make one amendment, though. The, the practical Stoic has now turned into the Walled Garden podcast. Uh-huh. And so that's, um, that's our kind of transition. Um, and so while we do very much focus on Stoicism a lot in our work, uh, we all come to, uh, me and my co-hosts, we come to the uh, conversations from a Stoic perspective often. Uh, but we're exploring all sorts of things like art, creativity, philosophy, theology, uh, you know, all sorts of good stuff. So uh, just so that people know anyway.
0: That is perfect. Let's start with that. Tell me a little bit more about The Walled Garden and what is Stoicism and what directions are you taking?
1: Yeah, sure. So The Walled Garden uh, as, as a podcast, it's really, um, we'd have to dive into the symbolism of The Walled Garden to, in the first place. So the walled garden symbolically is a very deep mythological idea. I like the way that Jordan Peterson puts it. He says that uh, the walled garden is a place where chaos can manifest itself creatively. Uh, and so I'm a, I am a—I tend to be a very creative individual. I'm working with another person, Sharon LaBelle. Uh, she's my kind of artistic mentor, you might say. She's a beautiful, beautiful writer from the United States. Uh, and then we're also working with Kai Whiting, who is just a, Uh, a really wonderful uh, philosopher from the UK and uh, very deeply ingrained in Stoicism as well. So we we all bring with us, I guess, the Stoic background. We've all been exploring this philosophy, this ancient philosophy of Stoicism, and we all share those common values of seeking human flourishing by way of deeper wisdom and virtue for our lives. And uh, I guess we come at our questions about uh, life and fundamental questions about what it means to, to live a good life uh, from that framework. And so uh, that's where we are with the Walled Garden.
0: I love it. And how diverse. You're on three different continents in three very different time zones, and you do this all the time. So you and I, speaking on opposite sides of the planet, is nothing new to you.
1: That's right. Absolutely not.
0: <laughs> that is Fantastic. Well, let's talk a little bit about the ancient wisdom and what do you mean by ancient wisdom and how does that help us now? Some people think, ah, old stuff is just, you know, for old things. How does that apply right here and right now?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, first I'd say that, look, wisdom is wisdom is wisdom. Meaning if if it's wisdom, then, you know, by definition, it's kind of like a universal uh, kind of wisdom that can travel across time and space that can be used today as much as it was used back in the ancient times. But when I say ancient wisdom, what I'm really talking about is we are digging our roots deep into our past and uh, being instructed by the great thinkers of history. Uh, of course, we 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 uh, have a certain inclination towards the Stoics, but we. Uh, we do look widely for, you know, wherever we can find deep wisdom that can help us in our modern times. And I think that people today are generally finding that if they, if they look to the heroes of the past, the great thinkers and visionaries and mystics and uh, philosophers, theologians, there's so much there that carries over time and, and, and allows us to live flourishing existences today despite the the, I guess, the age of of these thinkers and and, and the the, the backdating.
0: I would agree. And I love the comment about wisdom is wisdom. And there are uh, some things that are consistent throughout all of history, and that is human nature. We are the same. So our circumstances may change, but the kind of, of things that we think and our desires and our needs, that is a consistent thing. And so when someone gets it right ever at any time and place, then that's something that we can carry over and really stand on the shoulders of giants. Although we still have to have our own experiences, um, we get to, to learn and to kind of see it from a different lens, a different perspective. So who are some of your, your favorite people to look to when you're looking for, this is a good way to live joyfully.
1: Mm. Yeah, well, I, I would say uh, Seneca is somebody who I turn to often. I'm currently doing a series on Seneca's writings um, and going from start to finish. By the end of it, I think it'll be about 500 episodes, <laughs> so there's wow. a lot to go through. But um, Seneca was a beautiful thinker who really understood human nature, and he understood what people were like, and he understood understood what, what life would likely throw your way. Um, and he certainly... If, if I'm any judge of it, he had wisdom. And um, his writings are beautiful because he writes these epistles. Many people believe that he's writing these epistles to somebody called Lucilius. Uh, I tend to be of the thought that he's actually writing those epistles to himself as a way of connecting with the highest possible good that he could connect with and and, and, and abstract uh, sub- subtracting deep wisdom from that experience almost as a form of divination. But, you know, there's there's just so many great thinkers out there, you know, and and so it's hard to pick a favorite. But for now, Seneca is somebody who I'm spending a lot of time with. But I I, I want to touch on something you just said there as well, which is that we also have to have our experience as well. And and for something like that, I turn to Ralph Waldo Emerson. You know, he has this beautiful passage in the uh, in the start of his essays on uh, on nature, where he talks about how the time that he was living in uh, was very much one of uh, you know, people were writing a lot of histories of the ancient people, or they were, you know, kind of uh, uh, looking at these ancient people as if they were sort of um relics or artifacts of a time once had, but never again. Um, but Ralph Waldo Emerson, he wanted to remind us that that experience of being close with the divine, of experiencing true enlightenment, of experiencing what he called a, you know, a poetry and philosophy of you know, revelation to us or a religion of revelation to us rather than simply of tradition to theirs, that's an experience that we can have today in our modern world and we need to recognize that. Otherwise, we're always just going to be talking about the ancients or writing histories about them or commenting on them rather than actually seeing what they saw, feeling what they felt and being how they were, you know. So, um, I, I'm I think that what we're trying to do in the World Garden and what I'm certainly trying to do with all of my work is reintroduce people to that possibility that we can have the experience of communing and connecting with the divine. Uh, that is not something of the past. It is a human inbuilt tendency and capacity.
0: That's wonderful. So is that kind of the, the wisdom that you want to bring forward? Is this connection to divinity? Is that kind of what you're after with the ancient? It's, it's the or direction
1: of- I'm being pulled, you know? Okay. Uh, and, and, and so it's... Um, I couldn't have planned to arrive at this place if I had tried a few years ago when I started the Practical Stoic podcast, you know. Um, I was simply seeking a little bit of wisdom for my own life. I found some interest in the Stoics and um, I was not particularly inclined toward any one, you know, religion or, or faith group or um, anything like that. I was pretty agnostic. But over time I started to realize that all of these ancient thinkers, well most of them at least were at their core trying to get at a deeper relationship with God or what the Stoics called you know logos or uh, you know universal reason a uh, you know and and so uh it's in that pursuit that the Stoics give us this really beautiful pathway to a much deeper sense of of meaning and engagement with life and with what you might consider to be divine so it's the path I've been led on, and i'm Trusting that path so far.
0: Yeah. I like that, and I like how you have there's there's different names, there's different interpretations, there may be a different uh, a viewpoint of what it is that we're seeking for. But it is a, a deep inner yearning, a, a kind of a, a spiritual yearning, you might want to say. There's something within us, and that kind of matches along with your book. And I read, and I thought it was very interesting. It it, it tell me a little bit about. The poet and the sage. It felt to me almost scriptural, like the way that you you wrote things out. It was, were they verses? Because like everything was numbered. I thought, wow, is this like chapter and verse kind of thing? Was that the intent?
1: Well, it, again, to what I said earlier, I think I couldn't have planned to write the poet and the sage in the way that it's written, and I certainly didn't. It's, you know, I I didn't know that I was a poet uh, until. I wrote The Poet and the Sage. Uh, now, my father is a beautiful poet and wordsmith, uh, so it made sense to me that that was within me. I, I recently wrote on my website um, when I was thinking about, you know, how do I even describe what I am to people? Well, I feel as though I'm a philosopher at heart, you know, so I'm drawn towards those deeper questions, fundamental questions about what it means to live a good life. And I love sharing that with people as well, which is, you know, the true work of the public philosopher. I, I feel as though I'm a poet by calling because, you know, I did, I did not, I didn't see it coming. It hit me like a a brick in the face. You know, like when I started writing, that's just the language that I started writing in. And and to your point, you know, there's, I use all of the these and thines and thous and uh, schutz and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And um, that was just the natural way that my writing started coming out. And so, um, uh, and then, you know, I'm a musician in my being. And so there's, there's, it makes sense that there's a musical or a poetic element to my writing because that rhythm is deeply embedded within me as a musician. Um, And so it was a revelation to me to see the poet and the sage form into what it is. Um, But in saying that, it's not the book I ever thought I'd write, but it's the book that I had to write. And I'm deeply, deeply honored that I've been thrown into this tradition of, I guess you might say, uh, sort of mystical poetry, um, because it's just rocking my world up. <laughs> you know, it's just it. It 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 was one of those experiences where you look at it and you think, what the hell is this, and what does it mean about what I am as a human being and who I am and what I'm aiming at. Uh, and I hope that people, when they read it, they they are transformed by it. That's what I hope that they have a, an experience of um, recognition that this is you know, this experience of communing with the divine, communing with the sage is something that is, is possible.
0: Wow. That is lovely. And as you talk about the language that you speak, isn't it wonderful that we all have kind of, I mean, whether or not we're supposed speaking English, there is, there is a language kind of of our heart, the way that things speak to us, what resonates with us, what makes sense to us, what, what speaks to us. And I've talked to so many people where they'll hear a similar message presented by this person and this person and this person. It's like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. And then finally they'll find someone and it's that one, that one resonated with me. And so having this different voice, and this is what speaks to Simon is beautiful because you know that if it speaks to you, then there are others that that is exactly what is going to resonate with them and have that awakening. And that's lovely. And with your talents, with your poetry, and your music, and your prose, it matches another type of wisdom you talk about, and that is using creative wisdom. So do you want to explain a little bit about that, how you're able to use your talents, your abilities, your interests, to be able to, I don't know, to to express yourself and to get that message out? Yeah, yeah,
1: well, I I mean... I do like, uh, broadening my, uh, I guess philosophical horizons by looking to the different traditions and, and, uh, roles in society and saying, what's, what's their role? What are they, what are they trying to do? As an artist, I look to the great, brilliant artistic minds of history and I think, you know, what's the wisdom that's embodied within their creative process? Uh, and so in a sense, it all starts with saying, okay, well, um, there's this idea in stoicism that uh, the the highest aspiration that we might move towards is to live a life of virtue guided by you know by by wisdom a uh, pursuit of wisdom and 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 moving towards living in agreement with nature which means that you have an individual nature i have an individual nature now if we can perfectly fit into that nature and and fulfill that nature in our roles in our lives uh that at the same time is doing the best that we can do for the nature of the whole and so when you look at when you look at an artist you think what is the role of an artist what is their position in our society what do, what role do they play and and how do they play it and i look to people like Miles Davis he's been very inspiring to me the music yes brilliant musician but nonetheless i'm also very interested in his philosophy of creativity uh, because he was just one of the most brilliant minds and brilliant uh, creative philosophers uh, of all time. People won't, won't necessarily see him as that because they listen to the music, but if you, if you also listen to his interviews where he's talking about creativity, you'll get some ideas from there that will make you think, wow, that is a true artist, the way that he's thinking about creativity and his role as an artist. And so creative wisdom to me is, well, uh, if you're a creative individual, Uh, and if, if you're pursuing, I mean, look, in a sense, we all have the capacity to, uh, participate in a sort of creativity and in what we're doing, but nonetheless, not everybody is in the creative field. So miles can teach us about what, what we can learn about wisdom from artists and, and musicians and, and, and poets and all this sort of stuff. Like what are they teaching us about wisdom? And I'll give you an example, if that's all right. Oh yes, please. Um, so there's this, uh, there's this great interview with Miles Davis where he's, he's he he didn't really care for interviews and so he didn't really pay attention, but he was there, you know, and he was kind of doing a beautiful little drawing with some coloured pencils. And the uh, the interviewer asks him, you know what what happens when you uh, when you draw a wrong line, you know, on 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 your little drawing there? And his answer was essentially that it's that what do you mean by wrong line? It's the line that you draw after the one that you think is wrong. That makes that one right you know what i mean so his so his thing was there's no there's no such thing as a wrong line when i'm drawing it's a process a continuous process and he saw this as the same thing in his creativity as well because there was a time when herbie hancock he told this story about when he was playing with miles davis and he was horrified because he played what he thought was a wrong chord in 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 the in the song but then what happened was Miles Davis played a note that made Herbie Hancock's chord sound right, mm. right? So so Miles' approach to creativity skill. was I'm here in this moment, this time, this place only, and I'm responding to what's happening around me. And we can all do that in our lives, right? We can learn how to do that by dropping our expectations that life should be this way or it should be that way. No, it is how it is right now. What are you going to do with it to make what it is right. Does that make sense?
0: Oh wow, that is huge. If someone can embrace that type of philosophy, it would be life-changing. Yes. Where you would be able to be in the present. But just like how you mentioned Miles Davis had the skill to be able to hear that chord and then know what it needed, I mean that takes that takes a special person, somebody who who yeah. knows what's there. Um, in order to be able to, it's kind of easy to have the expectation and to try to just move in that straight line with those correct lines, but to be able to be adaptable and to be able to flex takes a a greater depth in the person and more, there's got to be more there in order to be able to be present and go with the flow.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, to your point this is the reason we study philosophy and we practice philosophy, you know, philosophy. Uh, there's a couple of things that you could say. It means, um, philosophy comes from the Greek "philo Sophia, meaning, meaning love wisdom. So if you're see, if you're practicing philosophy, you're seeking and loving wisdom. That's what you want for your life. I apologize if there's sounds coming out. Somebody's banging in a post outside, uh, but, um, Then you can also look at uh, what Epictetus said about philosophy, said that uh, philosophy is the art of living a good life. And so you talk about this certain sophistication one might have to be listening and watching the moment and paying attention and responding in the best possible way. Well, that's that's what we're trying to develop when we practice philosophy. We're trying to develop that skill to, at, at any moment in our life, to call upon deeper and better wisdom for the moment that can help us to act uh, in, in in a more uh, fruitful way in that moment, so that we can aim at that flourishing existence in every moment of our lives. And so, yeah, it's um, it's it truly is an art that we that we practice.
0: That's beautiful. Not just something that you study, but something that you practice. And I believe that change comes not just from learning, but from learning and doing. So as you learn something and then try to apply it, and say, okay, I'm in this moment. And maybe I, I took a wrong steps, my my way of drawing a wrong line. How do I work with that and be able to move forward so that it wasn't a wrong step? It was a learning experience or it was, a, I don't know, it, something something that gave me me greater depth. So that's awesome.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you point on something there that's so important, which is that within every uh you know seeming catastrophe in our lives or seeming uh uh you know wrong step uh, if we have become skilled enough in the art of looking for what is good in those situations, you will be able to find it um, and Of course, tragedy happens to everybody uh and in those moments, perhaps the last thing that you want to be thinking of is what can I take away from this but then again, you know something that was always drilled into me uh, from a young age because I grew up in the Mormon tradition and although I don't uh currently attend church I I do feel a certain cultural um, affiliation with the Mormon church because it's the way I grew up and it's the people I spent time with and um one of the profound ideas that is constantly drilled into us uh, you know when you grow up as a Mormon is that if you've got a trial if something's happening to you that is tough uh, that you can't really see a way out of just Focus on what you can gain from that situation, what you can learn from it, perhaps what God is trying to teach you in your life. Um And I know that that's a really difficult uh idea for a lot of people to grasp, but um I mean, I saw time and time again that people, if they decided to do so, they could see the benefit that could be given to them throughout uh, even the most dire of circumstances in their lives. And I think that that's a beautiful, beautiful thing to train within ourselves.
0: That is fantastic. And Simon, I speak to people all the time who have gone through horrible, horrible tragedies. And while no one is going to say, man, that tragedy was awesome. I sure learned a lot. When it comes down to it, those people who heal from it, those people who move forward, it gives them the ability to reach out and help other people. So I am agreeing with this philosophy, which you have stated in a couple different ways, but I feel like it's the same thing, that when we have that, that wrong line, whether we drew the line or someone else drew the wrong line, that there's a way to take the step after to make it so that it is okay. And to me, that is empowering because uh, we're not in control of everything that takes place in our lives. We are in control of, of a lot of things, but there are other things that we're not. And yet our response, that what's the line after, we always have the chance to do. And that is like um, Viktor Frankl when he talked about, you know, it's it's our response. There is a space between stimulus and response. And that is where our choice is, where we choose our response. And that makes all the difference.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly, yeah.
0: Wow, that is very cool. Well, the whole time we've been chatting, I've been thinking, I wish my son Joseph were here because he is a philosopher and he would just be able to be binging ideas off of you, and it would just be going. And I'm thinking you would really, you would really like him. He's a, he's a uh, smart I'm cookie sure like yourself.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Birds of the feather need to flock together, right?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Is there anything else you wanted to make sure that we covered in our discussion today?
1: No, look, I, I don't think so. It's, a, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, I guess uh, you know I would just encourage people to go and check out uh, thewalledgarden.com dot com because that's that's really what we're working on at the moment. As I, as I may have mentioned with uh, Sharon Labelle, a, a stunning author from the United States, and you know K- Kai Whiting, and um, we're, we're really. Trying to create a space for independent philosophers and, you know, like-minded seekers to get together and, and and discuss wisdom and virtue and how to live a flourishing existence and perhaps how to get through a few of the uh, um, uh, moments of great folly in our current age and and so it's a, it's a beautiful space and we're talking with some very interesting people over there as well and um, it would great to be great to see people there and. If they want to pick up The Poet and the Sage, it will be available on the World Garden Dots store as well. So uh, I'm sure that they will get something out of that.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And thanks for visiting with me today.
1: Of course. Thanks so much, Linda. It's been a pleasure.
0: In closing, I'd like to share a quote by Aristotle. He said, Educating the mind without educating the heart is no education at all. Today, I invite you to continue your education of your mind and your heart to become a lifelong learner. See you next time on Linda's Corner. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Linda's Corner, please share and subscribe to help us reach new listeners. I also invite you to check out my nonprofit, Hope for Healing, at the website hopeforhealingfoundation.org.